Welcome to A Firm Foundation, presented by Princeton Ministries, with Dr. Ken Smith. This is Carol Smith, Ken's wife. Please enjoy. Good deeds, good works, has in the life of a Christian. Help us, Father, to understand this vital subject. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the place of good works in the life of a Christian? We live in a day, it seems to me, that there are many philosophies that men and women have. They seem every day to have a different brand of philosophy. Most of the philosophies of the people that I know who are outside of the church are philosophies that are man-made. They are self-conceived. And so people are telling you, follow this philosophy, follow that philosophy. How much in contrast that is to the teaching of Scripture that says to a Christian that our life is not to be spent in the creation of our own philosophy, trying to find out what works for me, but rather that our purpose is to find out what brings honor to God and then to follow that teaching as it is revealed in God's Word. We seem to live in a day that has been devoid of an understanding of the application of God's Word to the lives of men and women. Abraham Kuyper, who in another century was considered to be one of the greatest theologians that ever came out of Holland, not only was he prime minister of Holland, but he was also a great writer and lover of God's word. He was a devoted Christian and wrote some of the greatest uh, systems of theology and theological thought. Well, as Abraham Kuyper looked over the church and over this world, he said it is as though there was a time, a time centuries ago when the world outside seemed to be a very cold and dark place. But there was a place, said Kuiper, called the church. And in that institution, it seemed that everything was warm and that there was light, and in that place called the church, people gathered around God's Word as though it were a fire, as though it were a place of receiving warmth and light. But then, slowly, into the church crept a change. The change? that the Bible, God's Word, is not to be taken so carefully and applied to your life so practically. And there were some who said why this fire of God's Word really has not been the source of what kept you warm. As a matter of fact, what really has kept you warm is the fellowship that you have one with another. And so there were some voices within the church that said, let us do away with the fire. There were some who came and said, 
let's take that fireplace and remove it. And so it was discarded from the churches. And then there were others who said, if we want to stay warm, what we must do is come together closely and we must rub our hands and we must come close one to another and that will produce for us the same warmth that we had before in the church. Well, they were terribly wrong for they found that the self-rubbing of hands did not produce the warmth one for another. As a matter of fact, what it produced was a concern for my own warmth, a concern for my own satisfaction. Well, Jesus said that the purpose of the church is that we should be sanctified through the truth. And you ask, what is the truth? Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth, for thy word is truth. And so today we come gathered around the fireplace of God's word, seeking to be warmed and seeking to have the light of God's word cast upon the subject of good works and good deeds and their place in the life of a Christian. Now to look at the Bible, you'll find that it is continually talking about good acts, good deeds, good works. In the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 36, we read about Dorcas. Dorcas, and she was referred to as a woman who was full of good works. In the book of Ephesians, our text today, the second chapter, the tenth verse, we are told, it is said of believers that we were created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? We are told for good works. Timothy tells us in the second book, third chapter, 17th verse, that the man of God should be thoroughly furnished for good works. Are you equipped for good works? Well, according to Titus, chapter 2, verse 14, Christ gave himself up for you and for me as we are in Jesus Christ. And I quote, to purify for himself a peculiar people, zealous for what? Zealous for good works. How zealous are you and I for good works? Is that something in the morning when you wake up, you think to yourself, I can hardly wait to do a good deed today. I am looking forward to accomplishing the good work that God has prepared for me today. Is that the way you get up in the morning? Well, it is clear in Scripture that the thrust of our life in Jesus Christ is that you and I would know that we have been saved by grace to accomplish good works, good deeds. Now, if we look at 
the various systems of religion around the world, you'll find that basically all of the religions of the world fall into three categories. And those categories are all related to the subject of good deeds. For example, the first group of religions of the world say that we are saved by our good works. We are saved by our good deeds. And in these systems of religion, it is believed that there is some set of teachings, whether it is the writings of Buddha or Confucius or Mohammed, but there is some corpus of material that we are supposed to follow and study and then begin to live our lives in relation to those teachings. And it is taught that if we would follow the Eightfold Path of Buddha, then we will be saved. The idea being that our salvation is totally dependent upon what we do. Unfortunately, this has crept into the Christian church. I am amazed as I talk to people in our own community about their understanding of what it means to be a Christian. So many of them believe that being a Christian has to do with following the Ten Commandments, being kind to their neighbor, uh, and uh, basically uh, not getting caught, and hopefully that the things that you're not getting caught about are still not as bad as what your neighbor's doing. Well, there are many within the church of Jesus Christ who believe that to be a Christian means that first I must behave in a certain way. I must follow a standard of teaching. And if I do that, then I will be saved. Well, we are told, according to James, the second chapter, the tenth verse, that there's a great problem with salvation by the means of good works. And that is that he says, whosoever will keep the whole law and yet offend in one, he is guilty of all. Which simply means that if you have lied once in your life, you're a liar. If you have stolen once in your life, you're a robber. And you shall always be known because you have offended once and are therefore guilty of all. And the problem of our good works saving us is that we have never accomplished enough good works to say nothing about the deeds that we have already done that condemn us. Well, perhaps we say, well, I am not... Uh, a believer that my good works are going to save me. But there is a second category of good works, and I believe that this one has crept into the church recently. That is that we are saved by faith plus works. That our salvation is dependent upon two ingredients. Faith, the things that we believe, the things that we confess in Jesus Christ, but it is also dependent upon my good works. 
And so that if anyone would want to see heaven, therefore they must put equal emphasis on faith and good works. Well, the problem with that comes in our second text, which is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul declares to us, you are saved by grace through faith. It is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not of works. So Paul would say to all of those who would believe that salvation is equally placed upon faith and works, he says, no, it is faith alone. Well, suppose that uh, you're a great uh, trapeze artist and uh, you are preparing to do a great triple somersault and you want to make sure that the trapeze to which you will leap is able to sustain that, the great force of that jump. And so I come to you and I say, uh, would you please make for me a trapeze that would be able to hold my weight? For I'm about to make a great triple somersault, but I have to be assured that on the other end is a trapeze that will hold me. Will you do that for me? And you say, certainly. And so you go and you fashion a crossbar, and then you go and you find the greatest rope that you can, and you fasten one end of that bar to a one-inch rope. And to the other end of that bar, you fasten a thin thread. And there it is, my salvation, waiting in front of me, made of but two things, a rope and a thread. Would you leap? Will that save you? Or suppose that you wanted a suit and uh, you had received this beautiful fabric. You said, I would like a beautiful suit made. And so I come to you and ask you to make this suit for me. Uh, and I give you this fabric. And you say, what lovely fabric. Uh, I have something that would be perfect that I would like to sew into this fabric. I, I would like to do the arms in the fabric that I have. And so you go to this old box. And out of it you pull a few rags. You say, aren't these lovely? I have saved these rags for a suit just like yours. Well, who would want a suit made of pure fabric and also made up of rags? And you say, well, what is the point? The point is that the Scriptures teach that the good deeds that you and I would accomplish, according to Isaiah, these Good deeds are as filthy rags. That even the best deed that you and I would accomplish, apart from Christ, is a filthy rag. Now, in contrast to these two positions, 
The first being that we are saved by good works. The second, that we are saved by a combination of faith and good works, is the third view, and that is the view that is built upon faith alone in Jesus Christ. That we are saved alone by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. This has been through the centuries the evangelical understanding of salvation. That Christ alone saves us. If you had gone to Luther, he would have said, I trust in Christ alone. If you had gone to John Calvin, he would have said, I trust in Christ alone. If you had gone to Charles Dickens, he would have said, I trust in Christ alone. If you had gone to Sir Walter Scott, he would have said, I trust in Christ alone. If you had gone to Michelangelo, I trust in Christ alone. If you went to the Apostle Paul, he would have said, I trust in Christ alone. Well, this is a clear teaching, and yet it is problematic for Christians. Why? Because Paul was not the only writer on the subject of good works. And we turn to James. James, who also spoke about good works. James says that faith without works is dead. In the second chapter of the 14th verse, he carries it further and he says, What does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can that faith save him? So on the one hand, we have Paul saying, You are saved by faith alone. On the other hand, we have James, who seems to be saying we are saved by our good works. Well, do we have a contradiction? Have we reached now the horns of a dilemma? And herein is the very proof that the Scripture contradicts itself. Well, I think what we have is one truth being defended from different sides. Imagine a great ship filled with precious jewels. You're a sailor on the ship. You're responsible. And on one side of the ship comes a group of pirates. They want to grab hold of that precious cargo. And so they begin to come on one side of the ship. And half of the soldiers and sailors stand on the side protecting that side of the ship. But on the other side of the ship come another band of pirates who are also after that same goal. They are after those jewels. And so others stand on the other side of the ship defending. Well, are they fighting at opposite purposes? Or are they fighting to protect the same truth? the same precious cargo. On the one hand, we have Paul. Paul, who is talking to people who believe that they will be saved by their works. He's talking to religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees of the day, 
who believe that if they would just give their offerings, if they would just give their tithe, if they would just make sure that the jot and tittle is properly touched, that all will be perfect. And they are very concerned about legalism, making sure that everyone does the things that must be done in order to be saved. And so the Apostle Paul speaks to that group of Jewish Pharisees, and he says, don't you realize that you will not be saved by your works? It's not the keeping of the commandments that's going to save you. It is not following the golden rule. It is not giving your offerings. What will save you is faith alone in Jesus Christ. On the other hand, we have James. James, who is not speaking to a group of people who believe that they're saved by their works. Rather, James is speaking to the church of Jesus Christ. He is talking to a group of people who have received faith, who have made a profession of faith. But what James sees in that congregation are a group of people who have made a profession but are not accomplishing the acts that ought to follow true faith. And to that church, James says, Know ye not that faith without works is dead? And so Paul is protecting that precious cargo of grace from those who would think that they can gain grace by their good deeds. And he says to them, no, it's not your good deeds that are going to save you. It is faith. And James turns to those who say they have made a profession of faith. And he says to them, but there is no change in your life. The transforming power of Christ is not alive in you. And because that is not visible, your faith will never save you. For with the absence of those good deeds, it is simply an evidence that you have not true faith. Imagine if you went to a judge and... Uh, you have been accused of speeding. The judge calls your name and you stand before his bar of justice and he says, how do you plead? And you say, judge, I am innocent. And the judge says, well, innocent. Jury, you're dismissed. You are free. Isn't that what he says? No, he hears your plea. And he says, mark that in the record. He declares that he is innocent. And now the trial begins. Bring in the evidence. Prove that you are innocent. There is a day coming when you and I 
will be standing before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And the question may well be asked, are you a Christian? Yes, I am a Christian. Upon what do you base your profession? Upon Jesus Christ. And then the question may well be asked, present the evidence. Where is the proof of this profession of faith? True faith changes things. True faith changes people. False faith looks back at an event five, ten years ago and says, oh yes, I was saved. I remember how I felt in that meeting. And then the question is asked, well, what has happened in the last five or ten years to you? Well, uh, not a great deal. I've gotten a promotion in my job. I'm driving a newer car. I've got a place down on the shore. No, no, you misunderstand my question. Spiritually, what has happened to you since you made this profession of faith in Jesus Christ? And our friend says, why, what should happen? I just put my faith in Christ. Well, let me ask you. Do you remember the lusts of your flesh before you made that profession of faith? Are you living a more holy life today since your profession of faith in Jesus Christ? Do you remember your mind that was X-rated? How is it today? Since your profession in Jesus Christ, are you thinking upon those things which are pure, those things which are good? How about your body? Where did you place that body? Where did you go before you became a Christian? Do you go to those same places? Do you get the same joy out of them? What about your eyes, your eyes that would look with envy at what, others with, at what others had, your eyes that would look with desire. Are your eyes now in the process of being changed since your profession of faith in Jesus Christ? What about your business practices? Before that profession of faith, was it easy to use the eraser to cross off a few things and to say it really doesn't matter? What about today? Since your profession of faith is your business more ethical with greater integrity, what about your tongue? Your tongue that could slice up your neighbor without them ever knowing it the tongue that could be used for backbiting, for criticism. Since you've made your profession in Jesus Christ, has your tongue been sanctified for holy use? What about your ambition? 
before you made that profession of Christ, what did you want most in life? Since your profession in Christ, what do you want most? Is it your will or God's will? Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. What good works have occurred in your life since your profession of faith in Jesus Christ? Let me ask you this question. Today, right now, as you look from the time of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, is your temper more under control? Your anger? What about deceit and lying? Has it been diminished so that that which at one point was a habit. Today you look at and you say, look at what God has done in my life. What about adultery and fornication? A way of life. Today, are you purer because of Christ? If your faith today is not in the process of saving you and accomplishing the good deeds that God has prepared, if your faith today is not changing you to accomplish good works, then know this. It will not save you on that day when you stand before Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us that the faith that comes to us is a saving faith that will produce good works. Are you seeing the Holy Spirit of God accomplishing good works in your life? You call me master, but you obey me not. You call me light, but see me not. You call me the way, but walk with me not. You call me fair, but love me not. You call me rich, but ask me not. You call me eternal, but seek me not. You call me gracious, but trust me not. You call me just, but fear me not. If I condemn ye, blame me not. Jesus Christ has come into the world that you and I might by faith receive his gift. And how do you know if that gift is at work? It is producing good works, good deeds. For James says, faith without works is dead. 
Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we come as men and women, your creatures that you have made us. And Father, we thank you for the faith that you have placed in the hearts of true believers. But Father, let us not delude ourselves. Let us understand that the faith that you give produces good works. Help us to be zealous to see the accomplishment of those good works. Help us, Father, to rest in faith alone in Jesus Christ and to know that the working of your Holy Spirit in our lives will accomplish those good works. And Father, if there be any here in this hour who look upon their profession and say, I have the right words, but there is no fruit. There are no good deeds that I can see that you are accomplishing through me. Then, Father, I would ask that that person would come face to face in faith to Jesus Christ and that they might ask you to come and to forgive them and that by the working of your Holy Spirit that you would begin a work in them and that you would bring it to completion. For, Father, we know that faith without works is a dead faith. But we know, too, that we are saved by grace through faith. That is not our own doing. It is a gift from God, not of works. And Father, we would ask that you would give us wisdom as we would walk our lives as Christians and help us to see the working of faith in the accomplishment of deeds. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to A Firm Foundation presented by Princeton Ministries. This programming is supported by you, the listener. You may go to our website, princetonministries.org, or send your donation to Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. That's Princeton Ministries, Post Office Box 2171, Princeton, New Jersey, 08543. The Lord bless you. And Dr. Smith looks forward to hearing from you. We would like to thank Roan's Web Development Company for making this webcast possible. You can find their link at the bottom of our website, princetonministries.org.